This is the word of God as it's found in Luke 10, 17 through 20. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he, this is Jesus speaking unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Lord willing, I'd like to focus on the, uh, the concept of having your name written in heaven. I'd like to ask uh, <clears throat> when that happened. And the fact is, is that it happened, I believe, happened very early. The ramifications of that, as it talks about God and his adoption of children and the Holy Spirit and the regeneration and Jesus' redemption and that final calling. But with that being said, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a practical example. I'm always afraid when I do an earthly example to try to illustrate a biblical spiritual principle that the illustration will fall short because Jesus Christ is just so perfect and so immense. To use a natural one, it seems like it's just pale in comparison. But I'm going to, to venture out anyway. I'd like to tell you the story of my, my wife. And uh, it'll show of a love that happened long before um, meeting actually actually occurred. What happened is, is, is my wife in her, um, in her 20s, um, she's a very beautiful woman, and, and she uh, got into a little bit of modeling, and she took a cousin acting classes. She even did a stint in New York uh, trying to follow that career. But thankfully, for, for me anyway, that the Lord uh, frustrated those efforts. And uh, after a short stint in New York, she ended up coming back home. She ended up uh, living with her older sister and her older sister's husband and their five children until she could get her feet on the ground and, and get back up and running. But during that time, as the Lord frustrated her efforts towards fame and fortune, uh, she ended up back in the church and dedicated herself to learning more about the Lord and, and serving saints, particularly uh, some of the older widow women. And during this time, as she moved in with uh, her older sister, she had the feeling and she would share with her older sister that uh, she was going to adopt three children, boys. And uh, it was very interesting. Uh, my wife ends up calling this her gestation period because as she lived with her older sister and their five children, uh, four boys and, and one girl, she did call it her gestation period. She got to see uh, piles of laundry. She got to see refrigerators unload at the drop at the blink of an eye. Had to see little boys saying, I love you to another brother with a slug in the arm. It was her gestation period. But it was funny as she would say that, I'm going to adopt my boys. She was praying for those boys that she would adopt one day. She was in love with those boys for boys that she never met. I find it interesting. She had a younger sister that heard, her, heard my wife say that, and she just said, you're crazy. Well, a little bit of time went by, and and a friend of mine who was a, a preacher happened to be visiting their church and the place where they lived. And uh, my wife, my, it wasn't my wife then, but she caught the preacher's eye, not because she was pretty, but the way she served the elderly ladies. And uh, he ended up coming back to the state where we were living. He and I were both living 
And he says, I think I may have found someone for you because I was a widower at the time and I had three young boys. He says, I don't know where your heart is or your emotions are emotionally, but if you're ever back in the market, I think you might want to meet this young lady. She's pretty impressive. So I ended up uh, calling her. Actually, I wrote her first. It was a cold call. And in the letter I wrote, I included a picture of myself and, and, and uh, my three sons. And uh, it was funny, as she got that letter, uh, she got that picture and she was going around telling her older sister and her younger sister, these are my boys, these are my sons. She fell in love with a picture of them before she ever met them. And I jokingly kid that I put the picture in there because I figured there was my biggest uh, attraction. Their cute little boys didn't get her nothing would. But my point is, is she fell in love with boys before she knew of them. She fell in love with the boys before she met them. Well, eventually uh, we got together and I flew down there and spent some time with uh, her sister's family and her. And, and she came up and she stayed with my pastor and his wife. And, and uh, she got to spend some time around. And, you know, some time went by and we ended up getting married. Oh, and she was doing that. She finally met the boys and uh, she uh, uh, became my wife. She started cooking and she started cleaning and she started helping with homework and interceding on uh, on the boys' behalf. Uh, they would uh, take all my, my tools and scatter them throughout the, the woods for one of their fort projects. And she would intercede on their behalf between myself and my sons. There was a love that was growing. But then some time went by and, and uh, she actually adopted. She hired an attorney and she adopted those boys. I found that interesting too. She adopted the boys that she loved before she met. And she adopted the boys that uh, she saw pictures of. And she told people that these were her sons before she met. And then a little bit of time goes by and she ended up writing a will. And uh, those three boys are named in her will. So my question to you is, is in that practical, that earthly example. Um, my wife had a love for specific people, specific boys, before she knew them, before she met them, before she saw them. And then slowly but surely she got to know them. Uh, the legal work was taken care of both in terms of adoption and in terms of inheritance. So with that being said, I'd like to use that as a parallel going forward into talking about this phrase, your names are written in heaven. Let's tackle this passage that we just read in Luke 10. Let me take a couple of minutes to paraphrase what's been going on in verses 1 through 16. Basically, what happened was is, uh, Jesus sent a bunch of disciples out two by two. This time he sent out 70. And the charge he gave the 70 was very much like the charge he gave his 12 apostles. He sent them out two by two. He told them to preach the kingdom of heaven at hand. He told them to take no provisions. He told them to dine with those who offer, to speak to those who will listen, to walk away from those who will not. He said, do not condemn the people. Let God do the judgment. But you need to rehearse God's best judgments. He gave them power over uh, earthly enemies, beasts, and disease, just like happened in Mark 16, 18, neither serpents or poison shall hurt them. In Acts 28, 3 through 5, a viper fastened under Paul's hands and took it off without harm. I do believe that was given to those disciples, both the 12 apostles and then the 70 disciples there. I think that was for a time. I wouldn't tempt uh, fate by going on and holding serpents at this time. 
he also gave them power over spiritual enemies, devils and unclean spirits. Just like uh, uh, it says over in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able and make a way to escape. I do believe God has a certain uh, parameter and a hedge that he puts about his children. But there's also a safety from harm, which was also for a time. In Acts 18, verse 10, he told Paul, who was leery about going to Corinth, he says, I am with thee, no man shall hurt thee. I have much people in the city. That certainly wasn't something that went on forever and ever. It was for that particular time during that evangelistic trip. And then finally, in Romans 16 and verse 20, uh, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. Again, I think that was for a time. So he gave these disciples, these 70, to go out two by two and and to go out and, and spread the gospel. The 70 returned with some God-honoring joy. It wasn't the puffed-up joy that, uh, oh, look how great we are. I believe it was just happy to serve. In terms of uh, um, serving, John 13, 17, talking about foot washing and service. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them, serving saints. Spurgeon had, a, Spurgeon had an interesting uh, quote, I say. He says, if you've been called to serve the master, don't stoop to become a king. In other words, it's a pretty high profession to be God's servant. And God glorified deliverances were done in Jesus' name, not their names. Matthew 7, 22 and 23, there's some people that prophesied in the name, cast out devils, devils done many wondrous works, but Jesus said, I never you knew you. These 70 were Jesus. In Acts 8, 18 through 20, Simon gave power to have this power to lay hands and give the Holy Ghost to people. But Peter says, my money perish. So this was a God-honoring joy. I believe that they were uh, happy they were serving God and doing it for God's glory. And then finally, these particular 70s saw the devils defeated. In Luke 18, 27 through 29, a certain man which had devils a long time, he wore no clothes, he abode in the tombs, he was bound with chains and he broke them, and he was driven into the wilderness. These disciples saw that happen, and they saw Jesus subdue that evil spirit. Matthew 17, 19 through 20, um, the disciples came to Jesus, and there was a man that was uh, uh, crazed with an unclean spirit. And he says, why couldn't we cast them out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. He says, your lack of prayer and fasting hurts you in this situation. So this is men that, that experienced some pretty remarkable things, and they came to Jesus very glad. But no matter how remarkable those are, Jesus wants to make the, the application. And he said, joy over the, the, the earthly successes you're having. I want you to joy that your name is written in heaven. So I think it's more... Matter of fact, I know it's more than just having your name written in heaven. I want you to consider all the planning and preparation that went into that. Now, <clears throat> notice, if you're a child of God for whom God planned, loved, and purposed, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, You were chosen before the foundation of the world, predestinated unto the adoption of children. You know, when my wife adopted the three boys that, uh, as a widower, I had, got those adoption certificates, their names were written on those adoption certificates. Before the foundation of the world, God put certain names on the adoption certificates. Those were the names, were the same names that were written in heaven, no more and no less. In John 14 to verse 3, it says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and you receive unto myself. 
In other words, there was some planning that went on. Who did he prepare a place for? He prepared a place for everybody's name that was on that list. Um, you are a child with a full inheritance uh, in my wife's will. There are young men and women in the church, but there's only those three children of mine and then the two we've had since then that have names on that will. They're specific. They're purposeful. Romans 8, 17 says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 4, We are saved to an inheritance incorruptible and defiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Your destination is certain, unchangeable, and wonderful. Philippians 1, 23 and 24, Paul said, I'm in a strait between two, a desire to depart and a desire to abide with you. 2 Timothy 4, 6, For now I'm ready to be offered the time of my departure at hand. Paul was ready to go. But again, I want you to understand, having your name written in heaven, I want you to try to comprehend the love and the planning and the preparation that was made for each child of God before the world began. And as we go forward, what we're going to find out that Jesus is going to be, he's going to redeem us. Now, I hope this does not sound irreverent, but I would like you to understand, when Jesus went to the cross, he redeemed a people. And the people he redeemed were on a list, and he redeemed everybody on the list. When were they put on the list? They were put on the list the same time the names were written on the list for the adoption. It was the same names. Everyone that got adopted was everyone that Jesus Christ redeemed. It's the same list, and it'll be the same list on the last day when the books are opened up, and we'll read about that in a second. This is the Father's will of all that he hath given me. In John 6 and 39, I shall lose nothing but raise it up again in the last day. Jesus is not going to lose a one. John 10, 29, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, and that man includes the man himself. Those names are secure. In an unbreakable, unalterable chain of salvation. In Romans 8.30, the Father predestinated whom the Spirit called, whom Jesus justified, and that's going to be our glorification. In 1 Peter 1, 2 and 4, who the Father elected, the Spirit sanctified, Jesus redeemed, and they're going to get the inheritance. A mission that was accomplished. In Hebrews 10 and verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Man, they've got everything. They're complete. They've got everything they need. In Revelations 5, 9, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ redeemed everyone that was written in that book before the world began. It was the same list he took to the cross. And what we're going to find out is that Holy Spirit is going to come and give a new heart, perform a heart operation to everyone that was adopted, to everyone that was redeemed. Notice the personalization. Solomon may not have known each biological child, but the Father in heaven wrote every name in a book. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. A woman may forget her suckling child, but God will not forget his children. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Oh, think about that for a second. You know how unlikely it is for a biological mother 
to forget about her nursing child? It's pretty far-fetched, isn't it? But God says he has etched the names of each child in his hand. Think about it this way. People God wrote in that book are the people that went, he adopted, that he got the adoption certificates for, their names are on that document, are the ones that Jesus purchased, who he bought, the ones he bought, he's going to get everything he paid for. And we see that. And then we find out he not only did he have a list when he went redeemed, but as he was on the cross, those names were etched on the palms of his hands. The people he died for were the same ones. So when 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 Jesus is telling those disciples, marvel not that you can cast out devils, marvel that your names are written in heaven. They were also written on the adoption certificates. They were also written on, on the redemption slip. They were also written on the palms of Jesus' hands as he went to the cross, and they're also written uh, written in the will of inheritance. Man, that's a thing, a remarkable thing. It's not like something that was added later on. Let's read uh, John 10, 11 and 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus knew the people he died for. Jesus redeemed those on God's list. He did not invite people to put their name on the list. And Ruth 4, 9 through 10, talking about redemption, Boaz announced what he aimed to redeem. He named the parcel and the widow woman Ruth, the Moabitess, to go with it. There was a hierarchy of who had the right to purchase that land. And I think it was probably Boaz's older brother. Could have been a cousin, but I think it was an older brother. And Boaz went up to that older brother, and he says, I want to purchase this land. And with that land comes this widow woman named Ruth, and I'm going to purchase her. This is a package deal. And when he redeemed the land, he got both the parcel and the woman named in the agreement. Well, the brother said, I can't do it. So Boaz purchased both that and the woman he named beforehand. That's how redemption works. John 17 and verse 2, he should give life to as many as thou hast given him. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And then finally, in Revelations 20 and verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those names were written in there a long time ago. A lot of planning, a lot of preparation, a lot of love. Wills are prepared before they are executed. Wills name specific people. When someone writes up a will, they write, they name the people the inheritance is going to. My friends, that inheritance is already established. Those wills are already done and the names have already been in Daniel 12, verse 1, there shall be trouble. Everyone found written in the book of the life shall be delivered. Revelations 20 and verse 15, another book was opened, the book of life. Those not in it were cast into the lake of fire. Notice the perspective. Supernatural healers forever? No. Supernatural healing? Sometimes. In Philippians 2, 25 through 27, Epaphroditus was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy upon him. 
In Galatians 4, 12 through 14, though through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you. In other words, those, those spiritual gifts that disciples were given, that was for a time. We see Epidiotus getting sick. We see through infirmity that Paul was preaching. If that was forever, then he could have healed Epaphroditus. He could have healed himself, but he didn't. Why? Because those gifts were time. But you know the names written in the book of heaven? Those are not for time. Those are forever. Supernatural exorcists forever? No. Supernatural exorcism? Sometimes. Second Corinthians twelve seven. there was given me a thorn in the flesh and the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Paul was preaching and Satan was causing him some harm and God allowed it to happen. So marvel not that you can cast out devils. That's temporary. It's your name written in heaven. That's not temporary. First Thessalonians 2.18, For we would have come unto you, but Satan hindered me. During that promise to the 70, he said, the devils aren't going to have any, you're not going to have any trouble with the devils. But that was for a short time. God did not promise a journey without storms. He promised a glorious destination, though. Luke 12, 4 and 5, Fear not that killeth the body. Fear he that hath the power to cast in hell. In Romans 8.18, For I reckon the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be, cared with, to be compared with the glory. Wow, think about that for a second. You know what Paul's saying there? He says, oh, I've done a calculation. This trip from regeneration to the time Jesus comes back, there's going to be storms, there's going to be winds, there's going to be currents, there's going to be waves. You're going to have a tough time. But you know what? I've done a calculation. And the calculation I've done, when you get to glory, the trip is going to be nothing but a couple bumps in the road. Glory is nothing compared to what's waiting you. Praise the Lord for that. Okay, so the conclusion of the matter to the 70, I gave you the power to heal and to cast out devils. However, those powers will not last forever. But never forget your names are written in heaven, which is forever. To each member of every local church, your youth and hell will not last forever, but your name, written in heaven, is forever. Your physical and mental abilities will not last forever, but your name, written in heaven, is forever. Your parents and your spouse will not last forever, but your name, written in heaven, is forever. Your home and family will not last forever, but your name, written in heaven, is forever. Your republic and its economy will not last forever, but your name written in heaven is forever. Your house and your neighborhood will not last forever, but your name written in heaven is forever. Your local church and the building will not last forever, but your name written in heaven is forever. Now, there will be a local church uh, always on earth, but it's not guaranteed that it'll be in every geographic location. The church at Rome, the church of Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, all those strong churches that were once upon a time, they're no more to be. There are churches on earth, but that's not going to last forever. Don't glory in earthly things. Glory that the fact that your name is written in heaven. So I will close with the passage of scripture that I opened with. Let's go back to Luke 10. I want to start reading at verse 17. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. 
And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Kind of makes you think like you're invincible, Superman. But you know what? Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Those are temporal things in terms of gifts and deliverances, but the fact that your name is written in heaven, that's something to shout praises to. May the Lord bless you as you consider your name is written in heaven. It was written there a long time ago. All the love, the planning, the preparation, the effort of Jesus Christ, the preservation, the, the personalization, how, 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 how certain it is for you. Rejoice in that. May the Lord bless you.